right, good morning, Emmaus. If you would, open your Bible to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We are going to be looking at the first half, first two-thirds, I guess you could say, of of Daniel chapter 2, and then we'll be doing something a little bit different for the next couple of weeks, and we'll come back around and finish Daniel chapter 2. Speaking of the next couple of weeks, I missed the time earlier in the service when Jim was up here, so he's probably already said most of this, but just a reminder specifically to our 915 gathering. Next week, serve day here at Emmaus, at 8.30, we have our serve rally where we get together, have music, prayer, Bible study, sermon time, and then people are going to be sent out, largely through your Sunday school classes, but sent out in the community to do service projects. If you're not connected to a Sunday school class, but you would like to go out and do those projects, if you come at 8.30, as soon as that time is finished, we'll connect you with a project and you'll be able to go out and do those. Not everybody is going to be going out next Sunday to do those projects, and so at 9.15, we will have a Sunday school class in here. It'll be the only Sunday school class happening on campus next week, but we'll gather in here at 9.15, so if you forget all of this information and accidentally just show up at 9.15 like usual, it won't be a problem. We'll be in here doing a Sunday school Bible study together, and then at 10.45, We'll have our second worship gathering, and it'll be the same song, same sermon we're doing at 8.30, all of that. So I want to put that in front of you again. I know Jim talked about that probably earlier, but just wanted to get that out in front of you so you would be aware. At the end of our time today, after we go through the sermon, after we look at Daniel chapter 2, at the end of our time today, we're going to have a time of response where you'll have an opportunity to pray with people. We're going to have some different people here at the front. I'll be down here. We'll have others available. If God's at work in your life and you just need prayer, maybe there's something going on at home, maybe there's something at work, maybe there's something God's doing in your heart spiritually, calling you to salvation, calling you to trust him, I want you to know at the end that there's going to be an opportunity for for you to respond. And if, if you're watching at home on Facebook, that you'll reach out to someone that we want to be able to reach out to you and care for you, whatever that looks like, to be able to respond to God's word, God's work in your life today. Before we get started this morning, I want to pray for us, pray for uh, God's word to come into our lives, to transform us, and then just to pray for our church family and for for Mother's Day and those type of things. So let's pray together, and we're going to get right into Daniel chapter 2. Father, thank you for the families that are, are gathered here, the friends that are together to worship you. Father, we know that one of the gifts of the church is that we are able to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn. And God, we know that a day like today on Mother's Day is a day of great rejoicing, God, and we are so thankful for your work in those ways. God, the way that you provide the gift of family, just the incredible example of great mothers that have nurtured us and taught us and just the gift that is. And God, we also realize that on a day like today it can also be very difficult for families, for mothers who are dealing with infertility, who want so badly to have a child, to be in that, in that position as a mother. God, for families who have lost a mother or, or mothers who have lost a child this last year and the pain that comes with that. Families and moms who are dealing with children who are struggling and maybe pulling away. God, we know that you call us as the church to rejoice with those who rejoice and mourn with those who mourn And God, we know that our hope is ultimately in Christ. 
And so today, as we look at Scripture, God, open our hearts, open our minds to see what only you can do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So when I was in college and seminary, one of the ways that we would try to make a little bit of extra money is we would go out and serve as leaders in these youth group disciple nows. Uh, Disciple now is like what our students call united, where you get together with your friends and you stay in different host homes throughout the weekend and they bring in college leaders or seminary leaders who, who stay in these homes and try to provide discipleship and Make sure the kids don't tear up the home uh, too badly in, in the process. And so one of these disciple nows that we went and worked when I was in college, they took us into what was probably the family playroom, the kids' playroom there, and they dumped all these guys in there with our sleeping bags, and we were going to stay in this, uh, in this guest room, this playroom. And during the night, I had a dream that I got into a paintball fight with some of these guys at the uh, Disciple Now, which wouldn't have been a weird thing to happen anyway at Disciple Now. That would be a pretty normal weekend activity. And I got shot with a purple paintball in this dream. Now, that wouldn't be such a big deal, except the next morning I woke up, and apparently the little girls who, who lived in this house had put these purple fuzzballs all over the ceiling, and one of them during the night had fallen on me, And I woke up, and this purple fuzzball is laying right there on my chest. Now, all I can imagine is somehow subconsciously, when I had walked into that room the day before, my mind registered these purple fuzzballs on the ceiling that I had never actually remembered seeing. And during the night, one of them fell on me. And in the process of that fuzzball hitting me, my brain registered paintball fight. Uh, it was creepy. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> like, it was a strange, strange experience. Um, fast forward a little bit from there. The summer after my senior year in college, we spent the summer in Southeast Asia in a country called Cambodia. We were teaching English there in Cambodia, um, serving with a group from Oklahoma Baptist University, partnered with another group from OU, teaching English, sharing the gospel there in Cambodia. So we were preparing to go from a smaller city in the north part of Cambodia called Siem Reap, and we were going to go down to Phnom Penh to the capital, and they were just going to send us as the college students there to Phnom Penh to do some work. The day before we left, the missionary that we were coordinating with came up to us, and she said, last night I had a dream that your plane tickets are wrong. We pulled our plane tickets out. They were wrong. Had she not had that dream, we, as a bunch of American college students, would have been stuck in Phnom Penh. I don't know. I'm sure we'd have found our way out, but it would have been a scary situation had that situation not happened. Daniel chapter 2. Watch the way it starts. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Nebuchadnezzar knew what it was to have dreams. I don't know what dreams you might be dealing with right now. Um, I don't know what might be troubling you or bothering you in life, but Nebuchadnezzar knew that feeling of waking up in a cold sweat, waking up after a nightmare, waking up wondering what in the world is going on in my life right now. Verse 2, then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. 
And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. Let me show you a couple things here that, that are interesting. One is that reference that they are now speaking in Aramaic is really interesting because at this point in the book of Daniel, the original text transitions from Hebrew to Aramaic. There are most of your Old Testament. So in, in your Bible, most of the New Testament, it was all written in Greek. Almost all of the Old Testament was written in Hebrew except very small sections. And one of those sections is found here in the middle of the book of Daniel. You have this transition to Aramaic. We don't exactly know why. Uh, likely is transitioning to Aramaic because the subject matter is becoming more universal in scope. It's the author's way of putting us right there in Babylon, letting us know this is what it would have been like to be in the court in Babylon. This is what the people were facing. And it would not have been a strange thing for these sorcerers and magicians to be called in to interpret dreams. In fact, archaeologists have found old magic books from this area where the people would have different interpretive books that would tell them, if you have a dream about purple paintballs, then it means this. <laughs> or if you have a dream about plane tickets, I mean, they wouldn't have a dream about plane tickets, but they had books that they would open and make connections and interpretations of a person's dream. Except that's not what Nebuchadnezzar wants right here, is it? He actually wants them to tell him what his dream was. He wants them to read his mind. Verse 5, the king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word for me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. Well, that escalated quickly. <laughs> like, things turned against him. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore, show me the dream and its interpretation. Um, have you ever maybe said to your kids, like, I can't read your mind. Like, I can help you interpret the situation, or I can help you deal with the emotions and the thoughts that you're having right now, but I can't read your mind. I actually need you to tell me what's going on. Um, or maybe you haven't, you know, said that to your kids, but you've thought that about your spouse. Like, I can't read your mind. I don't know what you need right now. Like, if you would just tell me, we could work through the situation together somehow. Verse 7. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. The king answered and said, I know with certainty that all you're trying to do is just gain more time because you see the word for me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I'll show you and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. Interesting thing there in verse 9. There's a little hidden action going on with the wording. Where it says, you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me until the times change. That's very precise wording that has to do with a change in authority or a change in who's the ruler. So Nebuchadnezzar already suspects that this dream has something to do with him not remaining as the ruler of Babylon. 
He's telling them, you're just trying to buy time until the next king comes to power. <laughs> you're trying to buy time until the times change. He already suspects this dream has something to do with that subject. Look what they do in verse 10. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, there is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand. For no great and powerful king has asked such a thing of any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods, whose dwelling is not with flesh. What a great couple of verses there. It, it has the feeling of other places in Scripture where even those who are not worshipers of the one true God speak things that get your attention, like, yep, that's true theologically. No one can do this. No human can do for the king what he is asking. This is only an act of the gods. Their problem is they see the gods as far away and not involved in the things that are happening in the world. Now the fiery furnace is going to be quite a surprise when they think that the gods don't dwell with human flesh, aren't among the people. But here they know they're facing a situation that the only way they're going to get an answer is if someone other than a human provides that answer. The gods who are far away need to come near with an answer. Verse 12, because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them as well. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. There's a little bit of a play on words here. These wise men who didn't know how to handle the situation with the king, how does Daniel respond? He responds with wisdom. He responds with the kind of wisdom that reflects the people of God, that he responds with prudence and discretion. Uh, a lot of times in life, it's not what you say, but how you say it. That, that makes a big difference in situations, Daniel as well is going to have to ask for some more time. He's going to have to figure out how to respond here. But he, as someone who understands God's word, as someone who understands humility before the Lord, he responds with prudence and discretion. And, and just a quick reminder to us as the people of God, prudence and discretion are good qualities to have in the 21st century as God's people. That the way we speak the way we respond to tense situations will often open up doors to ministry that wouldn't be there otherwise. Here, Daniel acts with wisdom in a way that's actually going to save the wise men of Babylon. Spiritual wisdom, God will use to overcome worldly wisdom. And you see that happening right here. Verse 13, or uh, I skipped a couple of, verses 15. So he declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions. And he told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Don't miss that verse and all the theology packed in there. 
That phrasing, we'll come back to in a minute, but the phrasing God of heaven is a good phrase to underline or highlight or just kind of key in on because it's going to be a key phrase in this passage. But to seek mercy from the God of heaven, they need the God of heaven to do for them what only he can do. And for what purpose? That they might not be destroyed. That language should remind you again of the Joseph story. Pretty much every week that we go through the book of Daniel, you should find a connection of some sort with the Joseph story because there's so many points of connection there. But here, when you think about the work that God did with Joseph in Egypt, part of what he was doing is preserving his people so that the messianic line, the line that would point to Jesus, would continue. That's exactly what's happening here with Daniel. God is using the situation. He's acting in such a way to preserve his plans and continue to point everything going in the right direction. Uh, It's like when you're watching a movie or a TV series, and the main character is right on the edge of being killed, and you think, surely they can't be killed here because this won't be a very good movie. Uh, or, Or this series will not last very long if this character gets killed at this point. So I know they're not going to die. The question is, how are they actually going to make it through this point? So how do they make it through? Verse 19, then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. So the king is troubled by a vision of the night. Daniel gets a revelation in the vision of the night. And Daniel blessed the God of heaven. This language right here, that the mystery was revealed, this is a famous way of phrasing things in the Bible. And the language we use about this is called a divine passive. So this is the moment where all the English grammar nerds unite. um, And we come together around this idea of active verbs and passive verbs. So when you write or you express yourself, it's almost always better to use active verbs. The subject did something. So in this situation, God revealed. But oftentimes in Scripture, it won't say God did something. It will say something was revealed. It was an action that was done by someone. And God's name, his, his role as the subject there is kind of left out, not because he's not important, but because they're trying to show that this is something that could only happen by divine power. This mystery was revealed. By whom? Revealed by God. We know that that's the case. And what does Daniel do? He blesses God. God acts. Daniel responds. God makes this revelation. Daniel responds with praise to God. Verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. Notice here the way your, your Bible might be set up that the font, the way the, the wording is put in your Bible or maybe even your phone will look a little bit different here. This prayer that is going to come from Daniel is going to come right at the core of this chapter, right at the middle of this chapter because it's going to be the foundation around which everything else has to revolve. And I would take a little time out here just to make a comment to, to moms, grandmas, Frankly, at the same time, dads and grandpas, let your kids hear you pray. Let your kids hear you pray because as they hear you pray, it's incredible the way their theology will be built up in that times. Our theology is often revealed in our prayers. Who we know God to be, how we understand God to work in the world 
is often revealed in our prayers, and, and prayers not full of cliches, but prayers that are calling on the name of God. When the, when the name of God is being invoked here, we're talking about his character. And what do we know about God's character here? That he has both wisdom and might. A God with only one of those would not be a God worth worshiping. So a God who is only wise is kind of that grandfatherly figure in the sky that doesn't have the power to really do anything meaningful. And a God who only has might and power but doesn't have wisdom and mercy is not a God we want anything to do with either. We need a God who has both wisdom and power and is able to bring both of those together. And that's exactly what Daniel sees in this situation. God, I need your wisdom and I need you to do what only you can do. I believe in both your wisdom and your power. The next verse He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals, all these active verbs are showing up at this point. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and you have made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Then verse 24, Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men. He went and said to him, do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Uh, the uh, wise men of Babylon really owe Daniel at this point. He's about to literally save their hide. Verse 25, Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste and said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. And the king declared to Daniel, his name was Belteshazzar, are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? And Daniel answered the king, no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. How good is that phrase? Everything turns on that phrase there. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in bed are these to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have, more than all the other ones who are living, but in order that the interpretation may be made known to the king, and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. Now, at the end of May, May 30th, that Sunday, we'll actually get to the dream and its interpretation and what to make, make of it. But this morning, I want to stop right there in verse 30. And I want us to focus on this phrase, only God can do that. Because what you find in this scenario is another example in Scripture of where God's people need him to do something that only he can do. And when you take Daniel's prayer and you begin to look at Daniel's prayer, you find three things that Daniel holds on to that only God can do. And what I would tell you is as God's people this morning, we need to hold on to these things. We need to remind ourselves that there are certain things that only God can do. Number one, only God can create. God is eternal, God is universal, 
and that God is the one who brings all things into being. You, you see that phrase there, the God of heaven, that shows up in verse 18, verse 19, verse 28. As the God of heaven, God is the one who has created the sun and the moon and the stars. He is God over the day and God of the night. Why does that matter here? Because remember what's going on here. You have a king who is troubled by his dreams at night. Uh, you might know that feeling of being woken up by a child who comes flying into your room because they've been troubled by a dream that woke them up in the night and, and the chaos that can erupt because of that. The God who is over the night is the God who is over the day and he's the God who is over the stars. The reason this matters is because what did the wise men of Babylon often used to predict events that were going to happen. They used the stars. They used the constellations. And Daniel is telling them, the God that you are really looking for, he's the one who created those stars and who puts everyone in its exact place. When we have a strong view of God as creator, it will remind us to trust him because he is the one who is in control of all things. Which leads to the second point. He's not only the God of creation, but we would say he's the God of providence. He is the God who changes times and seasons. Not only times and seasons like of climate and weather, but remember that God is over the times and seasons of your life. One of the things that Amanda and I talk a lot about in marriage and family is the way that life is lived in seasons. Not every season of your life is going to be the same. God's going to bring seasons to an end. He's going to move you to new places. He's going to bring new people into your life. You may be going through something right now where the season of your life has changed because of retirement, because of being an empty nest, or because of a graduation, or because of a job change, or because of a move. The God who created all things is the God who is over the seasons of your life. And when God takes you into a new season, he will guide you and he will provide you just like he always has. The God who is over the, the times and the seasons is the God who removes kings and sets up kings. There is no worldly power that has any ability to overcome the plans of God. He is the one who removes rulers. He is the one who sets up nations. He is the one who rules over all things and we can trust him. And the third thing I want you to see is that God is the God of revelation. He created all things, he holds all things together, and he is the one who is able to reveal mysteries. Verse 22, he reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. Only God can reveal his plans and purposes for our lives and for the future. Only God can reveal his plans to make all things right in the world. He alone is able to show us, guess what? I'm in control. You can trust me. I am bringing a plan of salvation. And we know that ultimately that's going to point toward Jesus. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But the question we have to ask ourselves is if God is able to reveal his plans, if he's able to reveal his character, how does he do that? What about dreams? This is an interesting thing to talk about. Does God still reveal things to his people through dreams? 
We're going to distinguish different types of revelation today. But I would say to you, yeah, he, he does. Now, we have to be careful with that. And we, and we have to go about that in the right way. There are some absolutely, unbelievably beautiful stories that come from missionary settings around the world where people don't have exposure to the gospel and to the scriptures in the way we do and the way God uses dreams to appear to people and prepare them to receive the gospel as it comes. Uh, we've talked a couple of times the last few weeks about the country of Iran and things that are happening there and the movement of God, people coming to faith. Dreams are so common in those scenarios, the way that God uses that to prepare a person's heart. Uh, I believe without a shadow of a doubt that God uses dreams to get our attention. There are times that God will use a dream in our life to bring conviction about something or to wake us up to something or to prepare us for something that is coming. Um, now, we need to be honest that dreams are also sometimes uh, driven by what we watch and what we eat. Uh, you might have a dream, and, and the meaning of that dream is, you know, I probably shouldn't swing through Taco Bell and Brahms, like, together at the same time, late at night, to, to grab food. Like, that might be God's revelation to you is maybe not so much fast food, you know, late at night. There are things like that. As you have dreams, and you try to make sense of this, remember in this idea of revelation, we always, always, always judge everything according to the Word of God. And we need people around us to say, you know what, I've been thinking about this. This dream keeps coming into my life. I keep, I keep facing this. I'm troubled. I don't know what to do. And in a society that says just follow your dreams, let dreams guide you everywhere you want to go, we need God's word. And we need the church that we can come around and say, hey, can you help me understand this? Can you, can you walk through this situation with me? Because here's what we know. When God reveals mysteries, he ultimately does it through his word and through his son. When you think about a God who can only reveal mysteries, the God who is able to do this, he does it through his word and through his son. If you say, I wish God would reveal something to me, I wish God would speak to me, can I just encourage you to open up your Bible? Can I encourage you to read God's word, to read God's word with the church and to focus your life on Jesus? Hebrews 1 Verse 1 says, long ago, in the times of the prophets, God spoke to them through, through people like Daniel. But in these last days, because we live in the last days, and we have for the last 2,000 years, we live in the last days, he has spoken to us through his son. Look at these verses on the screen from Colossians chapter 1. Colossians 1, verses 25 and 26. Paul says, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me. To make the word of God fully known. Notice how he describes the word of God. The mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. What is the great mystery God wants us to know? that he has sent Jesus to destroy the power of sin and death, and he has sent Jesus to live in you, to transform your life from the inside out. If you want to know the mystery that God really wants you to know, the mystery that will change your life, it has been revealed to us through Jesus Christ that only God can destroy sin and only God can destroy death, 
And he will do that by sending Jesus to live in your life. That you don't have to get everything together on your own on the outside. That he will change you and save you and transform you from the inside out. And so I want to leave you with this question. This question is going to guide our prayer time, our response time. And it's just the question, what is your situation in life right now that you would say only God can do that? I need you, God, to do something that only you can do. If you're here this morning and people have been trying to encourage you and talk you into following Jesus and you've heard the story of the gospel and you've been around church for a long time, that you would know that only God can transform your life. Only God can save you. Only God can take away your sins and give eternal life and that you would trust him. Because when we run into situations that only God can do, you know what that does? It drives us to prayer. And it drives us to trust him. And it drives us to praise him. Only God can take a suburban church in the middle of the Bible Belt and draw people to salvation and transform lives and bring spiritual renewal and revival. God, would you rescue marriages? And God, would you sustain people who are going through times of divorce? And God, would you reconcile parents with their children? And God, would you heal friendships? And God, would you give friends to people who are lonely? And God, would you rescue people from pornography and addictions? And God, would you heal hearts that are bitter and toxic and greedy? God, would you do what only you can do. He has created your life. He holds all things together. And he has provided a way of salvation for you. And Emmaus, I pray that as, God, as, as God's people, we would be defined by those who say, only God can do that. God, would you do what only you can do? Would you pray with me at this time? As we come to, to a time of response today, we're going to sing a final song together. And during that song, there are going to be people who want to pray with you. If you're facing something in your life right now, would you come and allow someone to pray with you? Maybe just come to the front and pray. God, we know that when we try to fix all the problems in our lives, we can never do that on our own strength. God, help us to be in the habit of saying, only you can do what we need to happen. Only you can rescue. Only you can redeem. Only you can heal relationships. Only you can soften hard hearts. Only you can draw people to salvation. And God, we want to see that happen. God, we pray that that would happen. God, I pray this morning that if there's anyone here who's never known the freedom of having sin and death taken away and to know what it is for Christ to live in them, to change their life from the inside out, God, I pray that they would respond. God, if there are families who need prayer, there are people facing situations in darkness that no one else knows about. 
God, that they would cry out to you. God, that you would do what only you can do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.